Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and with me are... Defender Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And you've reached the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. Uh, what we do here on this podcast today, what we're going to do is talk about movies and TV shows we've been watching. We're going to move on into some film news discussion. This week, that's going to involve some Oscar nom discussion, as well as a discussion of the Ben Affleck Batman film. And then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. We got a review of 20th Century Woman coming up for you this week. That's the new film by writer-director Mike Mills. We also have an After Dark uh, to discuss our uh, feedback for the Split episode, the M. Night Shyamalan movie uh, that we reviewed last week. That was one of my, A, favorite episodes of the podcast, B, most contentious episodes of the podcast. You could say the audience reaction was uh, divided. Divided? Divided, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, divided. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and you know it, it was a very uh, yeah polarizing episode uh, I would say uh, so looking forward to responding to your feedback uh, which you can always send to us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com you can also find every episode of the podcast at slashfilmcast.com so before we get going today guys uh, I need to rectify a couple of issues uh, a couple of transgressions that have occurred uh, in the history of the Slash Filmcast. This sounds serious. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah. kind of serious. Uh, so when we first started this podcast, Vindra, uh, along with Adam Quigley, we, we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. Sure. Like, we, we didn't really Flying understand. Flying by the seat of our pants. Flying by the seat of our pants, barely Luckily understanding. that's how, changed, huh, guys? Uh, 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 you know, barely understanding the technology, the medium, the responsibilities you have when you're broadcasting to thousands of people. Uh, and we might have made some mistakes over time. Here's one mistake I made, okay? Is one concept that has stayed in the world of podcasting and radio is anyone who contributes something that continues to benefit the show over time should be thanked over the course of time. It's like residuals for... Uh, for acting, right? For, like, Jeff, sometimes uh, if you've performed in something, have you gotten residuals before? Oh, all the time. I get I get uh, sixteen cent checks all the time, Dave. <laughs> all right, there you go. You're like so, Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> so you get you get residual. Basically, like you contributed something to this work that continues to be valuable, and you know that's the principle, and you get paid for it, or you get thanked, or in some way acknowledged or credited for it. Well, there's a filmmaker named Kyle Hillinger who uh, you can actually find his newest project at Facebook.com/slash Wake Up and Hear the Music Movie. Kyle Hillinger created our spoiler uh, bumper, right? That 20-second piece of audio that plays uh, before we have spoilers on the podcast. And I think he first sent it to us like seven years ago. So this is like really pretty early on in the podcast history. And I thanked him for it on the air like one time. And uh, I don't think I ever mentioned him again. <laughs> and so you that, stiffed him on residuals. I stiffed him on residuals, a.k.a. our gratitude over time. And, you know, sometimes at the end of the show we have credits. We mention our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com and our slash film court music comes from SimonMHarris.com. And uh, I need to also add to that that Kyle Hillinger, uh, who, again, you can find his new project at Facebook.com slash Wake Up and Hear the Music Movie. And hopefully he'll have a website soon that's shorter than that. Um, that I can say easily, uh, but Kyle Hillinger has made our spoiler bumper, and so just wanted to acknowledge that a 
he should get credit for making that really cool piece of audio that I think has become an essential part of uh, the Slash Filmcast. But also, B, like, he should be, you know, thanked and acknowledged consistently, even as we get farther away from the time that he actually made the audio. So... Uh, wanted to just say that that uh, is a thing that I messed up on because, you know, I didn't really know any better. And so sorry about that, but uh, hopefully we can write that wrong now. Also wanted to thank Jacob Christensen, who donated to the podcast in December and never got a shout-out. So I'm just kind of using this time <laughs> to just give shout-outs to people uh, who I have not been giving shout-outs to and hope that they forgive me. Anyway... Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Jacob. Thanks to all the people who donate every week. Thanks to the people who put in work to make Slash Filmcast what it is. Uh, we really appreciate it. And with that being said, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. Devinder Hardor, what have you been watching? Oh, I finally got to see Jeff Nichols' Loving. This is his uh, film about Richard and Mildred Loving, uh, an interracial couple uh, in the 1960s who were married. Um, they were married in Washington, D.C., but they actually lived in Virginia, and that led to a lot of uh, trouble. Uh, about their marriage because, uh, yeah, Virginia just would not recognize the legality of that. And all of that led to the Loving versus Virginia trial, which, uh, invalidated state laws against interracial marriage. Uh, I love this movie, guys, but I, I assume you're not surprised because I think I'm a little bit of a Jeff Nichols fanboy. I love his style. I love his quiet, uh, th- just the quiet way he handles films. Uh, this movie, a lot like Midnight Special, is a really quiet film, right? The script is very, uh, very sparse. It doesn't really ex- like it doesn't need to explain much because you know these two people. You can see why they love each other and kind of their relationship with each other. Uh, great performances here by Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega. Uh, I-, I pretty much loved everything about this movie. I definitely recommend taking a look at it. It's also kind of uh, heartening to see um, you know uh, underdogs and people of color fighting for some sort of. Uh, equal rights uh, against a government that, yeah, just would not give it to them. So it's especially hopeful today. Uh, yeah, just want to say I really enjoyed it. Uh, Nick Kroll is in this movie. I think he's probably the weakest link. I know a lot of people liked his performance here. He's sort of like a... Uh, he's one of the ACLU lawyers who helps them out, and he puts on this, like... Uh, it's like a 1960s I, I mid-Atlantic accent, and I just, I just can't buy it. And also because he looks like Nick Kroll. So, yeah. <laughs> fair, it's fair uh, I I can't get I can't get the league and the Kroll show and everything out of my head when I see him on the screen here. So, he kind of took me out of the movie, but beyond that, this is a tremendous film and I'd recommend it. That's loving. It's out in theaters uh, right now. Ruth Nega was nominated for best actress in a leading role by the Oscars this week. Yes. Uh, I think that's the only love that that movie got. But uh, from the Oscars, I should say. But uh, yeah, uh, I am also looking forward to checking this one out. Uh, I uh, read a lot about the Loving v. Virginia case in college, and so uh, I've heard this movie is a great representation of that. Mm-hmm. Let me just take a, a moment here, guys, to pause. Uh, not, I'm not actually pausing the recording. I, I, I guess something that has occurred to me, and I'm sure has occurred to you guys, is like, it's very difficult for me to conceive of how to talk about movies, uh, uh-huh. you know, separated from the current political climate that we live in. And <laughs> yeah, I'm not it's tough. It's yeah, and tough. I, I guess I'm just saying I'm just putting it out there that it is a challenge for me, and I'm thinking through how can we do this in a way that uh, doesn't sound uh, abrasive, but that also offers insight into the events that are going on today. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, just just know that it's something I'm thinking about, and I'm sure you guys are thinking about too. Uh, but it, it is like when you watch movies now, isn't it completely 
yeah. uh, change. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Every every aspect of life. Yeah. Is every Everything aspect of exists life. in the context of its time. Yeah. 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 Every aspect of life, including watching movies and doing this <laughs> podcast. But let me, let me just give you an example. Okay. Uh-huh. Spoilers for the Angelina Jolie film Salt coming up. Oh boy, I like where this is going. But yeah, I mean, I just rewatched Salt. Uh, it's Jeff, a great have movie. You, have you seen Salt? I have not. Oh man, that movie is so great. much fun. Super yeah. fun action film. Uh, so Jeff, if you don't want to be spoiled on Salt, stay like just tune out for like twenty seconds. But uh, basically, at the end of that film, what you find out is that a Russian sleeper agent has infiltrated the highest levels of the U.S. government and is going to launch nukes against the Mos- like a, a Muslim population Man, in order about to, that. in order to turn them against the in, turn a billion Muslims against the United States. Uh-huh. And uh, it's just very difficult to watch a movie like that without reading <laughs> it in the context of our political reality today. Uh, and by the way, that movie, which is written by Kurt Wimmer. Is batshit insane. Like, yes, there's so yes. much crazy stuff going on in that movie. Yeah. And, uh, the idea that that is, it feels, it feels quaint. Salt <laughs> is quaint in the world of today, you know? Yeah. It, it, regardless of your political bent, uh, it's, it, I think we can all unanimously agree that <laughs> the last year <laughs> has been much more bizarre. The headlines, the the turns of event, uh, have been m- much crazier than any movie would. It feels like we're inside a badly written Tom Clancy novel uh, often, or a or a really you know really poorly <laughs> poorly structured <laughs> thriller. You know, right, a political right. thriller. It is. If this was, you know, if if. Some of the things that have happened uh, were in a movie we would all say it was unbelievable. And, and mm-hmm. so in that context, it really does change how you look at fiction because these fantastical events that are depicted in movies, these, you know, these things that seem so crazy don't seem so crazy anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's hard to be escaped <laughs> to go into yeah, escape. It, it, it does not feel like escapism anymore. Uh, I, I, you yeah, know, I was yeah. thinking Jeff recently of uh, this Reddit thread that uh, says, "Assume all of world history is a movie. What are the biggest plot holes?" <laughs> right. So right. this is a great thread. There's a lot of things like um, a meteor killing off the dinosaurs was obviously a cop out because the author didn't know where to take the story. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, stuff like that. I think one of them was about how like Nazis are like way too over the top. You know, right. it just the, well, the biggest plot hole is we don't know how it began. So there's that. Uh, but here, the, the Nazis—they're just too perfectly bad. The symbolism, the propaganda, the uniforms, the skulls on the uniforms, everything about them. Yeah. End quote. Right. Uh, but I was thinking, if world history is a movie, then I would say, man, the. Um, Germany becoming the uh, leader of the free world basically <laughs> was a third act twist that I would not have seen coming. Well, um, yeah, the this is the unwanted reboot. That, <laughs> yeah, that we're getting. And uh this Germany is the good guy now. It's yeah. it's very very odd. Uh, what a twist. But, uh, but I also want to say Dave like the the reason we tell stories as humans is not only to entertain ourselves but to explain the world and you know to to explain things. So it's very natural for us to look inside of those stories as we're watching them and like, why is this happening? What tell me what's going on in the world right now? Uh, the insanity of it is that it's all happening so quickly, right? Like imagine if um, somebody was just like knocked out between last Friday and Monday and they look at the news or if they like just went off the grid on like a, a weekend trip or something. Just imagine like all the crap 
they, they like there were protests and Trump did what? And these companies and the Uber guy did what? It's just so much it, it shit. It's happening you have to really quick. It feels very it's surreal insane. how quickly it's happening. Yeah. I, I don't want to belabor this too much, but uh, <laughs> obviously this has been the topic of many discussions I've had with everybody in my life. And, you know, we, we were talking, uh, <laughs> I was talking with, hanging out with a friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, and we were, you know, we were talking about how, you know, art has, always played a role in shaping cultural opinion and and how much of the progressive change in the last you know 10 to 20 years is you know you can directly applicable to pop culture and uh you know we were saying you know gay rights you look at will and grace i mean that's that is mm-hmm. an easy cultural touchstone that has that has that changed the world and there i said a shift in ellen as well and things like that yeah, yeah. And I said, uh, what we need now is uh, Will and Climate Scientist to be a big show. <laughs> well, that's no, Big Bang Theory. Like, Big Bang Theory is one of the most popular shows in the country right now. People are not learning from those nerds. <laughs> I don't watch that show. I, I, they, they do talk about science, and they're very they? like, pros. Like, they, they're nerds. They're not going to be, like, the little I've like, seen, like, yeah. I feel like they're, they, they're kind of looked down on and made fun of rather than... They don't preach it, but people genuinely like that show, which I'm surprised by because I just don't watch it that much. But that is certainly a great covert platform for uh, pro-science propaganda. Did you guys see David Harbour's speech at the SAG Awards yeah. uh, last night? Mm-hmm. That was a pretty amazing speech. I certainly saw Winona yes. Ryder's res- response yeah. to it. <laughs> hey, I'm going to drop some audio from that speech right here in the podcast. On behalf of this fearless and talented cast, uh, we would like to thank, oh, it's so heavy. Uh, we'd like to thank Netflix, uh, Sean, Matt, Ross, and the amazing casting director, Carmen Cuba. Um, and I would just like to say that in light of all that's going on in the world today, it's difficult to celebrate the already celebrated Stranger Things. But this award from you, who take your craft seriously and earnestly believe, like me, that great acting can change the world, is a call to arms from our fellow craftsmen and women to go deeper and through our art to battle against fear, self-centeredness, and exclusivity of our predominantly narcissistic culture and through our craft to cultivate a more empathetic and understanding society by revealing intimate truths that serve as a forceful reminder to folks that when they feel broken and afraid and tired, they are not alone. We are united in that we are all human beings and we are all together on this horrible, painful, joyous, exciting, and mysterious ride that is being alive. Now, as we act in the continuing narrative of Stranger Things, we 1983 Midwesters will repel bullies. We will shelter freaks and outcasts, those who have no homes. We will get past the lies. We will hunt monsters. And when we are at a loss amidst the hypocrisy and the casual violence of certain individuals and institutions, we will, as per Chief Jim Hopper, punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy the meat and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. And we will do it all with soul, with heart, and with joy. We thank you for this response. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great speech, and there's a lot of uh, negativity around uh, actors getting up on stage and 
and opining about how important their job is in the world. Uh, and sometimes I believe that negativity, but man, did I believe that art has the ability to change the world after that speech. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he blew the doors of the place, off the place. Well, we haven't, uh, we ain't seen nothing yet. The Oscars is going to be dripping with that. And yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to help or not help. I certainly is going to be the, the choir that they're preaching to will love it. Uh, I don't right, know. Right. Um, I definitely have family members who who I was shocked at their response to the to the Meryl Streep speech. So God knows what will happen uh, when you know literally every person that gets up there to accept an award says something, which is I think what will happen. Yeah, yeah. Before we move on, uh, I just can I just read a, a few more of these history things to you guys because sure. this is pretty good. Uh, all right. So uh, again, the the prompt is assume all of world history is a movie. Uh, what are the biggest plot holes? And uh, here, uh, I, I quote, I wish I was playing a bigger role in this movie. It seems like I'm just an extra. <laughs> uh, end quote. Here's another one. Quote, for 10,000 years, we ride horses, use spells to cure diseases, and more often than not, die by the age of two. Suddenly, within 200 years, we're in space, replace limbs, and in general are pretty much indestructible until we're 80. Aliens? Question mark? End quote. <laughs> uh, here, here's a couple more. Quote, the Titanic was unsinkable, then it sunk. Lazy fucking writing right there. <laughs> Lazy fucking writing, end quote. Uh, and then finally, quote, a real, jump in the, uh, a real jump the shark moment was when they let Napoleon come back just for them to beat him again. Really lazy writing right there, end quote. <laughs> so uh, great stuff in that thread. You can Google it. I'll link to it in the show notes. But um, in any case – well, I thought, you know, I thought the 2000 election was the one that seemed like the most preposterous writing. It was like, really? His brother is yeah. the governor of the state? <laughs> that was the Come first on. taste of it. Yeah. yeah. They actually made a movie out of that. Uh, Recount is a good, solid uh, political thriller right there. I, anyway. I, I'm, I've been thinking about, like, what sort of movies or what we get out of this insanity. And it's it just kind of boggles my mind, too. Yeah. Like, it, will we get, like interesting documentaries or how will they dramatize this who knows yeah if we you know if we're still allowed to make art (laughs) yeah (laughs) well in any case uh thank you for uh talking about this guys and if you guys have any feedback of course we're open to hearing it but i i do i guess what i'm just saying is i do think politics will become more i'm kind of planting a flag and saying i think politics will become more part of the show as time goes on um just because it feels pretty inescapable to me uh (laughs) at this point Anyway, certainly the movie we're reviewing today uh, resonated on a level it wouldn't have a year ago. Sure. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Devendra, what else have you been watching? Yes. Uh, oh, I also just wanted to throw a shout out to The Young Pope, uh, the new series on HBO starring uh, Jude Law by Paolo Sorrentino. And uh, th- this show, guys, is pretty crazy. And uh, I-, I feel like there's people have been talking about it quite a bit. I know you have opinions, Dave. I really enjoy where it's going. Um, it basically is about uh, th- this very young pope. And I guess young in Vatican speak is what? He's like 48. So that's he's the that's youngest young. pope ever. And he's also American, yeah. which is not common. As he's well. American. Yeah. Um, just him adjusting to his life there and the people in the Vatican trying to learn to deal with this guy who is not as uh, easy to work with as they expected. Uh, this show goes all over the place, but I love when it goes full camp. I love uh, that it gives all these actors a lot of time to just really dive into this material. I, It's so enigmatic and strange and interesting and beautiful. Um, and I, I, I'm just like eating it all up. I, I don't think it quite hits the mark all the time. 
Uh, but I think about a show like this compared to something like Westworld, which also tried to be enigmatic and beautiful and yada, yada, yada. Um, I feel like something like that, at least what Westworld did is it tried too hard to push certain narratives. Whereas this show, we still don't quite know what's happening. Uh, it's mainly a character study, but it's a really fascinating one. And it's, it's especially interesting now. And yes, I have to say this, uh, because, uh, yeah, we're also dealing with a leader who is very like ideologically extremist and rigid and, uh, kind of vain and narcissistic as well. Although funny enough, like as bad as this guy is, um, he still shows like glimmers of goodness. And yeah, strange how yeah we ha- we haven't seen that as much. Yeah, uh, I mean, I saw this uh, thing where hapless bureaucrats installed an unpredictable, raging asshole into a position of unimaginable power recently, uh, thinking they could control him. Yeah, thinking they could control him. Yeah. Anyway, let's not finish uh, that. It was, it was too it, sad. And it was the Young Pope on HBO, by the way. Did I? <laughs> okay. I didn't even go for the boom that time. Good job. Anyway, um, that's the Young Pope. It's on HBO. We got a bunch of feedback. From people saying that uh, I was wrong about the young pope in the After Dark last week, because I so said, what, what did you say? Because I have not. Uh, I basically just said that I think it's very bad, um, and <laughs> I, I did not enjoy it, and I thought it was like. How much have you seen? Uh, I watched two uh, first two episodes. Okay. Uh, the entire series has already aired in Europe. Uh, yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I will say this is a gorgeous show, and Jude Law really. Choose the scenery in this, and if you want to see that, then uh, I think it's a great it's show to do. It's so yeah. much fun. Like, it's, I don't know, in the first two episodes, you don't even get the full extreme of it. I would say at least try one more episode, Dave, because the, just the title sequence of the show is just kind of weird and punk and badass and button and campy in a way. This is like John Waters by way of, uh, you know, Sorrentino. And Sorrentino, he, he's a guy with really fun sensibilities and kind of wacky sensibilities. I'm thinking of like The Great Beauty and some of his other films. Uh, I, I like his sensibility. I love his style. And I guess at some point we'll have a big debate about how Westworld handles ambiguity and how this show does. Yeah, uh, I, I found it to be almost unbearable to watch the show. So uh, <laughs> it's just it's just my you know my own personal thing. A lot of people love it, yeah. and it has been memefied in the U.S. So I guess there's something good about it. So it, it seems like a show built for memes. There is a suit up sequence in the last episode uh, that is just so hilariously campy that it, yeah I think it, it'll go down as like one of the best scenes of the year. So yeah, it, it is worth watching for sure. I just want to give a shout-out in terms of what we've been watching. I've been watching a few things. Uh, going to shout-out a few things. <clears throat> Let me just do that again. <laughs> um, well, that's what Davinja's been watching. I just want to give a shout-out to a couple things I've been watching. been watching a few things on FX. Uh, just wanted to say, uh, firstly, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is back, and the show is in its 12th season, I think. And, uh, you know, not every episode <laughs> is great. But uh-huh. some episodes are still pretty good. You know, like the season premiere in which the, the gang is transformed into a black family and, uh, they also perform in a, a, a mu- the episode itself is structured as a musical. I thought was, uh, actually pretty, uh, pretty bold and amazing. And they have, uh, you know, still a few tricks up their sleeve is what I'm saying. So, uh, there were a few rough seasons around like, or a few, a bunch of rough episodes, you know, seasons seven, eight, nine, they kind of, lost its momentum a little bit, but recent seasons, I feel like they've really kicked it back up a notch. I mean, it's so difficult when you're in season 12 to be coming up with new ideas, uh, but they are still pushing the envelope, and so I would say, hey, worth checking out. It's always something in Philadelphia. I think it's on FFX or FXX. 
Uh, also been watching Baskets on FX. Jeff, I think you mentioned the show mm-hmm. back in season one, right? I really love the that absurdist style of comedy. Uh, I just think it it, it it tickles me in a way that, that few other things do. I, I, I thought the show was brilliant. I think it's brilliant as well. And I saw the season premiere, season two. It is also uh, very, very good. It's... It's just so random and absurd. There's nothing else like it on television. Uh, season two concerns him joining, like the first episode, he joins up with a group of street performers, all of whom are named after uh, characters from The Matrix. But they, they don't explain that they're named after characters from The Matrix, and they don't uh, explain why that's the case, and they don't call attention to it. It's just like little touches like that that are just so random and weird and make this show unlike anything else in television. Um, so I'm still a big fan of Baskets and would recommend anyone who has an off-kilter sense of humor check it out. So that's uh, what I've been watching this week. How about you, Jeff Kanata? I was traveling quite a lot this week. Uh, I went to um – PAX South in yeah, San how, Antonio. How'd that go? Uh, you did like a live, did you do any live stuff? Yeah, we did a live We Have Concerns, uh, which was a blast. I was also, I participated on the uh, App Junkies panel, which was a lot of fun. It was kind of like uh, basically MST3King apps as as, nice. as they bring them up. We had a great time. <laughs> um, any, uh, and, any Slash Filmcast fans down there? Or? Oh, definitely. So many. Talked to a lot. Uh, it, it was it was a blast meeting a bunch of people. And thank you to everybody that came up and said hi. Always loves meeting meeting people that listen to the show. Um, so anyway, I didn't have a, a ton of time to watch stuff, but uh, I did watch uh, the Royal Rumble. Uh, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did spend four hours of my life watching wrestling. Uh, but uh, I, I did catch uh, the first episode of a show I've been meaning to watch for a while now, and that is Dirk Gently, Holistic Detective. Uh, I'm a huge Douglas Adams fan. Read the uh, read the uh, Dirk Gently books way back when. You know, they are not Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy level. Um, they're definitely his B material as far as I'm concerned, but there's a charm to them, a fun to them. I was curious to see the, the show. The show is, you know, kind of just loosely based on, on those books. Um, but based on the very first episode, and again, I've, I've only watched one so far. This is on Netflix, right, Jeff? Is it? Uh, I think I it, it's BBC America at the very BBC least, America, right? right. Yeah. So, but I think um, it's also going to be on Netflix if it's not already. Anyway, I mentioned to you guys that I subscribe to Directv Now, uh, and it is on one of Directv Now's um, time shifted uh, offerings. It's one of the if you just click on shows in Directv Now, it'll it'll find that one. So I don't actually don't know. How you know how they got that? <laughs> yeah, right it, it is not Netflix, so you're right. Um, but yeah, BBC America and Directv Now, you can get it through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I was charmed by the first episode. It's 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 got a lot of uh, fun, kind of quirky weirdness going on, and and enough non quirky weirdness to kind of ground you and and make you feel a connection with the Elijah Wood character and feel like what is going on. Um, it's zany when Dirk gently shows up, it's, it's zany and he's kind of wild and you kind of don't know what's going on with him. I'm anxious to re- to see more episodes, but I liked what I saw so far. It's, it's hooked me. Cool. Well, that's Dirk gently's holistic detective agency and you can find it on BBC America. People in the chat room are saying it is on Netflix. I'm not finding it right now as I'm searching for it. So maybe it's on Netflix in certain countries. Uh, in any case, Jeff liked the first episode and uh, maybe you will too. That's what we've been watching this week. 
Guys, let's dive into film news. There's a bunch of film news to talk about. Uh, why don't we talk about the easy topic first? Ben Affleck. <laughs> this happened just hours before uh, we started recording this episode. Uh, a few weeks ago, Ben Affleck said that he's not going to do the Batman movie if they can't get the script into a good place. Uh, well, I think and- the progression was Ben Affleck <laughs> might be doing a Batman movie. Ben Affleck has signed on to do a Batman movie. Ben Affleck definitely making Batman his next project. Ben Affleck equivocating about a Batman movie. <laughs> ben Affleck might not do a Batman movie. Ben Affleck's not doing a Batman movie. That's right. That's right. So uh, uh, last month, Ben Affleck said, if Batman doesn't come together in a way I think is really great, I'm not going to do it. That's so what, the studio was like, said. well, we just don't need you. Right? So it is it's not coming right. together in a way that he thinks is really great. And in his statement today, Ben Affleck said, quote, there are certain characters who hold a special place in the heart of millions. Performing this role demands focus, passion, and the very best performance I can give. Also it has, push-ups. It has become, <laughs> also CrossFit. It Getting has become tired. clear that I cannot do both jobs to the level they require. Together with the studio, I've decided to find a partner and a director who will collaborate with me on this massive film. I am still in this, and we are making it, but we are currently looking for a director. I remain extremely committed to this project and look forward to bringing this to life for fans around the world. Until a month and a half from now when I release the next statement that says, I will no longer be playing Batman. <laughs> I wish this project the best. <laughs> for their part, Warner Brothers has said it fully supports Ben Affleck's decision and remains committed to working with him to bring a standalone Batman picture to life. Uh, bad signs, guys. Bad signs. DC Comics movies keep losing directors. This is not the first time this has happened to a DC Comics film. This is also the craziest one, too, because it's like it's not like he's going to go anywhere. He's he's still there. (laughs) He's still in the movie. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be kind of awkward. To be fair, Marvel films have also lost directors. You know, it's not like uh, uh, Edgar Wright, you know, off of Ant-Man. There's a a couple of other examples of that as well. Thor 2, another example. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, And those movies came out fine? Well, Thor 2 sucked, but yes, Ant-Man Ant- Ant- was uh, not bad. And uh, yeah, DC Comics, however, uh, this is not restoring confidence in their ability to right this ship of their film properties. If you read um, between the lines, isn't this basically Ben Affleck saying, um, directing movies is very special to me, but I'll act in any old fucking thing. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Have you seen The Accountant, guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to put my name as director unless it's amazing, but uh, actor? Yeah, <laughs> where do I sign? That being said, it's all weird because Live by Night was not exactly the greatest yeah. film. I believe the company, the the studio lost $70 million on Live by Night, according to uh, reports. Yeah. So I wonder if that was a factor in this it, at all. I, I would think it would be, I would the think opposite, that, yeah, right? the opposite. It's like, hey, I need a movie that's going to make, you know, $500 million guaranteed. Got to direct his mm-hmm. Batman movie, but... Um, well, it's not always his choice. That's what I'm saying. I, I oh, I see, was... I see what you're saying. Like, uh, maybe um, it poisoned the well for him or something. Yeah, like, like yeah. People like, are like, well, if he can't he bring had. in Live by Night correctly, then can we trust him to do Batman? I don't <laughs> know. I feel yeah. like DC Comics really needs Ben Affleck's talent more than Ben Affleck needs DC Comics. <laughs> no, at this most point. definitely. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, that's probably not the calculation they're making over there. I just want to say, uh, I tweet this out. This is giving me big Blade 3 vibes, which is not great. Um, just because that movie, uh, they're, they're 
there's so many stories about like the behind the scenes action of that movie and how much like Wesley Snipes just hated being there because he could clearly see he was being forced out um, while they were grooming um, you know Ryan Reynolds and uh, uh, other new character to that, be... that worked out well that worked out well <laughs> but also he hated everything while he was on set so I can only like I if I were Ben Affleck I'd feel kind of shitty about trying to be in this movie at this point um and also like uh the director of that movie is heavily involved in all of these DC movies guys just throwing that out there uh David Goyer David yeah, Goyer's out there that's right that's he's, right he's he's beneath the surface there have been rumors on the internet that Matt Reeves uh might be in consideration to direct the Ben Affleck movie no idea if that's just idle speculation <laughs> or not but in any case I think we M. all night agree. Shyamalan guys <laughs> I think we all agree this is a very, very bad sign for the Batman yeah. movie. Um, it's, uh, but hey, maybe, you know, guys, there's been countless examples in the past of we heard a bunch of turmoil behind the set, you know, the horrible things happening. Uh, think of Rogue One. Think of uh-huh. World War Z, you know, where these movies were supposed to be complete disasters. And then they ended up uh, not being that bad. Of yeah. course, there are also movies like Suicide Squad that we heard were complete disasters and then they actually were. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Who knows? Do you guys think that there is a standalone Batman movie starring Ben Affleck that actually comes out? <laughs> I think you, th- you, think, will happen. you think he's not going to be in this movie for that much longer, Jeff? I don't think this movie happens, but I don't want to be yeah. cynical about it. I, you know, I just – it just seems – tra- if you trend it on a graph, if you plot the course <laughs> on a graph. Yeah. It, is a linear, <laughs> it is a linear uh, graph downwards, yeah, basically. The, uh, I, I think it will happen as much as Suicide Squad happened, right? Which was a series of scenes featuring actors that <laughs> – Existed one after another, uh, you know, but didn't make sense. It had the and basic components of a movie. I would, yeah, yeah, barely call that a movie. Um, I, I think that could happen at the very least because it still made a shit ton of money. Like they're not going to learn anything here. I don't know. Suicide Squad really saved their asses last year. Yeah, uh, for yeah. sure. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, that's the news from the new Batfleck film. But let's get to what we really want to talk about: Oscar nominations. Now, uh, when we talked about Golden Globes, I made a statement. I said something like, you know, that the Golden Globes are intellectually uh, or artistically bankrupt and you should not take them seriously at all. That is not the case for Oscars. Uh, there is slightly <laughs> more credibility there for Oscars. All on the up and up. Now, that, that being said, I'm not saying the Oscars are perfect. They've made lots of dumb choices in the past. And mm-hmm. certainly we will enumerate them today. Uh, but overall, these are actually craftsmen that are voting on uh, these awards and these nominations. And so we can take them a lot more seriously than we would the Golden Globes. And, uh, and we'll cover them as such. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's go over the highlights first. Okay, Best Picture. Uh, nine films nominated. Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Just a, just a nice, even nine movies. Yeah. It's all very symmetrical. Didn't cut anything out at all. La La, La Land uh, tied for most nominations ever with 14 nominations. Yeah. Uh, and it is going to completely destroy every single other category uh, at the Oscars this year, I predict. And oh, we should yeah. point out. We should point out, by the way, you know, like the Oscars favor certain kinds of movies. They favor period pieces because those movies require – uh, well, you know, they're full of self-importance, but they also require skills from a lot of different kinds of people, you know, um, mm-hmm. makeup artists and uh, costume artists and uh, CG and digital artists, visual effects, sound, you know, uh, they favor movies about Hollywood, right? Like La La Land. Mm-hmm. They favor movies, you know, that are that are about uh, art. 
Yeah. Uh, and so, so they're skewed. They're skewed is what I'm saying. And so just yeah, take everything with a grain of salt. That being said, uh, let me ask you guys, like Jeff, Kanata, which movie, which movie is your favorite movie that will lose to La La Land? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Tough call. Tough call. Uh, Are you guys surprised Arrival is here? I, I would say I'm glad. I, I I I'm glad. I'm glad. Was Arrival? I don't even remember if Arrival was in my top ten. But if I had to, choose, well, actually, no. It definitely would be Moonlight. Uh, would yeah. be what I would want for Best Picture. But yeah. uh, second to that would actually be Arrival. I would say like mm-hmm. I want that movie to win Best Picture if if Moonlight doesn't take it. I'm just I'm surprised because uh, I remember hearing a lot about these names. I'm surprised Hidden Figures is here. Um, but yeah, I, that's I could great. See, yeah. yeah, it's great, and I'm glad for it. Uh, but Arrival just seemed like a nice little genre movie that you know would just be recognized as that. So I'm kind of I'm really happy to see it show up here too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, any? Oh, oh, Jeff Kanata. Uh, well, firstly, a f- few, few surpri- a lot of surprises. I would say, Hell or High Water got like a ton of love. That's at, great. You know, it got like five nominations, including <laughs> best uh, supporting actor for Jeff Bridges, best picture, best picture for Hell or High Water. I, the I movie, think you may want to reconsider that. The movie, movie was bit. fine, guys. The movie's I, phenomenal. It was fine. It's phenomenal. I think, I think Jeff is more into it than I am, but it's very, very good. Film, uh, but also, film it's editing. shocking. It's shocking because when it was released, this is not a Oscar yeah. window release movie. It was remembered this this long yeah, into late, the late summer. Late summer yeah. came out. Yeah. Um. So Hell or High Water got a lot of love. Uh, Jeff Kanata, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. Thank God. Captain I mean, Fantastic didn't receive any other nominations except Best Actor. So he's great. Yeah. He's great in it. I, it's it's a shame to me that the script wasn't recognized because it's a beautiful script. And I mean, it, I. I would have supported a, a best picture nomination for it as well. I, I you know, I, I think, I think it is truly one of the best movies of the year. Uh, and, and I'm just glad it's on any list here at all. And hopefully people will see Vigo's name and, and give it a chance. I got a lot of tweets actually this week from people that saw it, um, based on my effusive praise. And, uh, I hope you guys both watch it. It's really a special movie and it's coming to, uh, Amazon prime streaming on uh, February 27th. I think I heard so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen lion yet, which was nominated for best picture, Fine. uh, but I hope to check it out. Yeah, uh, it is the only movie that has, uh, an, uh, an Asian lead in it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Dev Patel was also nominated for best actor in a supporting role. So, uh, looking forward to seeing that movie. Uh, no, Isabel, best actress for Is- Amy Adams. Just wanted to point that out to you. Yeah, I was gonna say Isabel Huppert nominated mm-hmm. for L, which was which great. Is great. Yeah, because uh, she was actually pretty pretty awesome in, in that movie. Uh, I have not seen Florence Foster Jenkins yet, <laughs> but I'm gonna assume that Meryl Streep should not have been nominated over Amy Adams for Arrival. Uh, I'm yeah, just gonna put yeah. that out there and say Amy Adams killed it in Arrival, and she should have been nominated, and she was robbed, and that sucks. Guys, the 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 much big, even more than Amy Adams in, for my money, and I loved Arrival. You know, it was, I put it number one on my list. Yeah. Uh, and and spoilers for the rest of the show, but Annette Bening should be nominated. <laughs> She's <laughs> her work. Yeah, that movie got no love, no real love no for love. 20th century women. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, nominated for best original screenplay. Uh, so ah, you get something. Okay. Oh. You know, I hate to point this out, uh, but sort of you know in, inside baseball a little bit. No screeners were sent out for 20th Century Women, hmm. and no nominations. I don't think those are unrelated data well, points. Well, I, ju- I just said it was nominated for best original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, pardon me, yeah. but you know, still, I, I think uh, I think 
there are campaigns for these movies and they do have effect. So, yeah, uh, I agree with you. You know, I was just reading Vulture did an oral history of Crash winning Best Picture, and uh, they said that a key part of their doing of their winning Best Picture was sending a DVD screener of Crash to every single person in SAG. Uh, right. So that is a hundred thousand people, and uh, it costs two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. To send those screeners to every single one of those those people. It was 2004. Like, it was tough. Yeah. And like 90% of the people in SAG, like that's all the money, that's all the payment they got for being in SAG that year. <laughs> Ouch. Um, you, mean, not... you mean a crash screener is what you're saying? Exactly. Uh, Only but, thing they have to show for their dues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, apparently that was a big, a big deal uh, when they did that. And uh, Crash ended up, you know, stealth winning mm-hmm. Best Picture. Uh, but oh, and we should also point out that uh, the act- stealth winning <laughs> it won. Well, what I mean is that a lot of people thought that uh, Brokeback Mountain had it sewn up. You know, yeah. Uh, Ong Lee won Best Director that year. So I also think that um, what do you call it? Oh yeah, the the uh, the Screen Actors Guild. Like the the actors are the biggest part of the Academy. So their opinion does hold a lot of sway when it comes to. Choices like Best Picture. Um, so that's another thing. That I'm, I'm basically just reinforcing your point, Jeff. Right. Mm-hmm. A few other surprises uh, that I wanted to point out. Best Original Screenplay, The Lobster, got a nomination. Yes. Yeah. Which I actually think is actually well-deserved. Yeah, that's uh, it, perfect for that movie. Yeah. Agreed. It didn't receive any other nominations, but uh, I thought I thought uh, Best Original Screenplay was a good one for that. Happy to see Fences getting a lot of love. That's not a movie that people mm-hmm. talk that much about. It didn't make that much money at the box office, but... Uh, Viola Davis and Denzel Washington do put in some really powerful performances in that movie. Fence has got a, a bunch of nominations. Um, Are you guys surprised that Mel Gibson got let back into the club? Not yeah. really. Uh, <laughs> I am a little surprised. I'm a little surprised yeah. how much people were willing to overlook his crimes. But to be fair, uh, he has been in the creative desert for like a decade. Uh, and maybe people thought, hey, we're finally ready to let him back in. Uh, but you know, if you go, if for those who are, are among our younger listeners and don't remember why Mel Gibson was consigned to the creative desert, go back and uh, Google some of his past incidents, right. and you might understand why a lot of people object to him getting nominated both for Best Picture for Hacksaw Ridge as well as I think he got nominated for Best Director. As he well. did. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it's one thing being let back in, but do you, do you saw Hacksaw Ridge, Dave. Do you actually think that's? Best picture? No, worthy? no, I don't. Uh, it's, but, that's but, what's really strange to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- I mean, it does have some pretty spectacular war sequences, so uh, that might be part of it. Uh-huh. Now, there is one thing I do need to point out, guys, which is that. Uh, Je- hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. What's up? Uh, I-, I have a question for you. Um, th- what you know? The-, the the Oscars are put on by the AMPAS, right? You know, you know what that is? Uh, no. Oh, okay. The the Academy <laughs> of Motion, Motion Picture, Picture Arts and Science. Motion Picture. I was trying Motion. to figure it out. <laughs> Motion Picture. Hey, Jeff. Jeff, hey, what? what's, a, uh, what's another word for Motion Picture? Uh, uh, a movie? Film? 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 Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, film? You could say Academy of Film Arts and Sciences? Academy of mm. Movie Arts and Sciences? Hey, uh-huh. hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, yeah. guess who was nominated for Best Documentary Feature this year? Mm. Something that is like... 48 and a, and a half hours long. OJ Made in America. It seems, ladies and gentlemen, that when it comes You've to the been. question of whether OJ Made in America is a film or a TV show, uh, the Academy agrees with David Chen 
that uh, <laughs> it should be classified as a film. And I was really excited to see that it got nominated for Best Documentary. So, yeah, it's a good there thing. There you go. Yeah. Well, you uh, win this. Other... Do you win this round, Chen? Yeah, yeah, I for do. sure. I do. A couple I... other weird things, by the way. Uh, no love for Sing Street in Best Original Song. So sad. Trolls. Uh, Trolls is there. <laughs> Crime against what? humanity. That, Who that, that... among us hasn't started boogieing down to camp? Stop the feeling when you hear it in a pharmacy, guys. Yeah. Which also it's sounds a, like a copy of another movie of another song. <laughs> uh, yeah, Travis, that is that Travis. is a absolute crime against humanity. No it's nominations for Sing Street is actually one of the things I think the Academy did right this year, guys. <laughs> for original song, you mean, okay, Dave, okay, so you're, you're right. You're right. One thing. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Doesn't like the movie, but at least you can rec- recognize that the songs are worthy. Of- I will give you that. I will give you that. It should have gotten nominated for original song, and in fact. I, I think that City of Stars is the worst song in the La La Land soundtrack. I don't know why La La Land got two sound, uh, two, to- mm. two nominations. It didn't, yeah, it didn't yeah. really. Two. And by uh, uh, another thing, no love at all for The Handmaiden. And I hear that, yeah, Korea didn't, Korea really didn't even it. submit The Handmaiden. Uh, but still. But Korea didn't even submit The Handmaiden, and their stupid movie that they submitted didn't get nominated at all. So they made job, the, they backed the wrong horse. They backed the wrong horse. I really want to see A Man Called Ove. I loved that book, and... Uh, I, I'm really dying to see that. Speaking of foreign language films, I've heard it's great. Uh, a Man Called Ove was nominated along with uh, Land of Mine, Tana, Tony Erdman, and The Salesman, all nominated for foreign language film. Uh, but of course, with the events of the last week, Oscar Farhadi, one of the most talented directors alive in the world today, is mm-hmm. not going to be attending the Oscars. And I can't blame him. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, Passengers got two nominations. Don't uh, let's just never talk about that again. Hey, but let me just say that the two nominations it got, I actually think were well deserved. Passenger score was very good, uh, and I, I think uh, it also pr- uh, deserved to get nominated for best production design as well. This is a year that there were five movies nominated for best animated feature film, none of them by Pixar. I don't know if uh, mm-hmm. that, that hasn't happened very often. Uh, Monsters University, I don't think, got nominated either. But, uh, yeah, uh, Finding Dory, despite being incredibly successful, did not mm-hmm. get nominated for Best Animated Feature Film. And you know what? I think that's, that sounds that's about fine. right. Yeah. If, if that was done to make room for, you know, Moana or Kubo or something, like, yeah. yeah. I, I have not seen My Life as a Zucchini or The Red Turtle. I've heard The Red Look, Turtle is yes. amazing. Yes. So, um, so looking forward to trying to check that out whenever it becomes available. And, you know, I think really what it's going to like, there's been this very weird dynamic that really it's going to come down to, you know, whether Moonlight or La La Land takes some of these bigger awards. Moonlight to me is is kind of that movie, that that little movie that could, you know. Uh, I think it's going to be a La La Land clean sweep. I agree. For sure. I agree. Um, But I think there's a lot of people holding out hope that Moonlight will win. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that movie's made for $5 million Mm -hmm. and has not done gangbusters at the box office. But uh, is still respected, got uh, a bunch of nominations, including Best Actor Supporting Role, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Cinematography, Directing, Film Editing, and Music Adapted Screenplay. Um, so a bunch of nominations for Moonlight, and uh, yeah. I mean, I think I don't think Gosling will beat Affleck for Best Actor. I think Casey Affleck has Best Actor yeah. sewn up. Um, I, I think Natalie Portman has a chance to upset Emma Stone, but I think Emma Stone's going to win. Um, and I think pretty much everything else is going to go la la land. 
Well, there was uh, no one uh, in La La Land nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, so maybe Maharshala Ali is going to take that one for Best Supporting right. Actor. Uh, Lucas Hedges nominated for Manchester by the Sea. Man. I was a little surprised by that. I thought he did a great job. Yeah. I didn't know good. that that was an Oscar-nominated perfor- uh, performance. So that's not what I thought when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silence almost completely shut out. It did get a Best Cinematography nomination. Deserve it. Um, yeah, agreed, agreed. But yeah, I would hope that I was hoping that uh, he would get a Best Actor nomination. That did not happen, unfortunately. Martin Scorsese deprived yet again. Uh, director. Yeah, for Best Director. That's right. You said Best Actor. Oh, sorry, sorry. Best. Uh, he's had some great cameos, but I don't think he's. <laughs> I agree, Jeff. Uh, anything else? So for, for director, by the way, we should just point out it's Denis Villeneuve, uh, Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight, Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge, and uh, Damien Chazelle for La Land. So those are the best director nominations. Uh, anything else you want to point out? Any any highlights, lowlights, things you were disappointed by, things you loved? Nah. Yeah. I think, that, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be a very exciting year, to be honest with you. And... Um, that's that's the shame, I'll, you know. That everybody seems to be loving La La Land. I think it's a very charming m- movie that it makes you feel good, and there's no reason not to enjoy it. But I, I think it is. Uh, you you would put your like you would vote for Arrival to win, right, Jeff? Like that would be your choice, I assume. Of the of the nominees that we see here, I have not seen Lion. I have not seen Hacksaw Ridge. Um, but of the nominees here, I would I would choose Arrival. Probably, um, yeah, I probably would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't think Arrival has any chance. I agree. I don't think it has any chance. Yeah, I really don't think anything has any chance other than La La Land. I really, I really don't think Moonlight has a chance. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty boring night, I think, at the Oscars if La La Land mm-hmm. uh, wins everything. I mean, look, guys, I think La La Land deserves to win a lot yeah. of these awards. But guys, best original screenplay, come <laughs> on, I, I just that well, just I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I there's a lot of things that I will Best say. Sound editing, the sound was the the sound mixing that was the worst part of that movie, in my opinion. <laughs> and, and Emma Stone is is a lovely actress. I think she she's wonderfully charming and delightful in this movie. Best actress this year. She did win the well, SAG award. So I know. It seems very she's likely she's going to win. She's a yeah. delightful human being. If the award goes to most delightful human being, I, I would award it to her. But <laughs> I, I think I wonder if that is the, the reason La La Land is getting so much love too, because the world is a hellscape, and we need that escape. And La La Land is perfectly it. Something yeah. to say about that. That is that is a good point. Michelle Williams got a nomination for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. That's great. Uh, she was in a handful of scenes in Manchester by the Sea, but man, she really killed it in those scenes. Yeah. I thought she did yep. a great job. I wish she was in it more. Yeah. Uh, 13 Hours, the Benghazi movie, the, the Benghazi movie, uh, mm-hmm. now has more nominations than The Handmaiden, guys. And Ugh. that is a travesty. Ditto uh, Deepwater Horizon, a movie that I think we all quote unquote enjoyed, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of movies that just didn't even make the list that were on our top ten lists, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. very disappointing. But hey, whatevs. Um, the Academy is going to do what the Academy is going to do. And uh, I look forward to ta- talking about the winners and the ceremony with you guys when that happens on February 26th. So, that is it for Film News. Find the full list of Academy Award nominees at SlashFilm.com. Before we move on to our review, got to thank all the people that donated to our podcast this week. Thanks to Lawrence Schatt, uh, Michelli, Michelli, I think is how you pronounce it, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, Jerome C. from Chicago, Illinois, Roya M., 
Christopher H. from the United Kingdom, Gregor from Liechtenstein, and Ricardo from Guinabo. Thanks also to new subscribers Austin Belzer, Nizar Babel, Kyle Van Grinsven, Fabian Reinhardt, Kevin Mann, Soren Pertz, Martin Donoyan, William Harris, Daniel Lee, Carolina Diaz, Wendy Austin, and Tristan Volp for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. Really appreciate your contributions, and you can always donate to the show. It helps us to defray the cost of putting on the show, seeing movies, uh, by going to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab using the PayPal links on the side of the page. I actually got some requests this week in our Slack, which you can find at SlackFilmCast.com, people wanting to contribute more than $2 per month. Firstly, love that attitude. Secondly, <laughs> uh, going to figure out a way to allow that to happen so you can choose kind of the dollar amount. How um, has nobody uh, contributed under a fake Bart Simpson-esque hilarious name just to make you say it? You I don't know? think – How come there's no ever been – how come you've you never been able to PayPal, donate yeah. under Amanda Hug and Kiss? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's a challenge for you guys <laughs> this week. But uh, thanks to all the people that donated. We really appreciate it. And, yeah, we'll set up uh, some higher denomination donations hopefully in the near future. Uh, that's going to bring us to our review of 20th Century Women. Stop. What? Thinking that you know everything that's going on. No, I, don't. I just think that... You know, having your heart broken is a tremendous way to learn about the world. I see the shapes. I remember thumbnails. I see the short. This is the really hard part. And then it gets better. And then it gets hard again. <laughs> Do you think you're happy? Seriously? Look, wondering if you're happy, it's a great shortcut to just being depressed. That was from the trailer of 20th Century Women, the newest film by writer-director Mike Mills. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. The story of three women who explore love and freedom in Southern California during the late 1970s. 20th Century Women stars Annette Bening, Al Fanning, Greta Gerwig, Billy Crudup, Lucas Jade Zuman, and a bunch of other really talented actors. And this is kind of Mike Mills' follow-up to Beginners, right? Now, I have not seen Beginners. Jeff Kanata, have you seen Beginners? I have not. So Davinder is the only one that's actually seen Beginners. But I, like, it seemed like Beginners was kind of Mike Mills' uh, film about his father and 20th Century mm-hmm. Woman is kind of his film about his mother, right, from what I understand? Sounds about right. Davinder, yeah. did you enjoy Beginners? I did. I don't even remember if I talked about it on the show. Yeah, but, think, yeah, that was a really nice that. family drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Jeff Kanata, why don't you uh, take us through? What do you think of uh, 20th Century Women? I absolutely adore this movie. I adore this movie. Uh, I'm so grateful that Devendra had us see it because I may have missed it. And uh, I'm anxious now to go back and watch Beginnings. I hope it, it lives Be- up. Beginners. To, excuse me, Beginners. Um, th- there is an adage uh, in screenwriting and, and really in all art uh, that says um, uh, the more specific you are, the more universal you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and this movie is absolute proof of that. This is a movie about very specific people. And it's kind of funny that you read the uh, plot summary because there really isn't a plot. There's, there's no plot in this movie. It's all character. And it, it, we are just with these characters for two hours and they are very specific people living in a very specific place in a very specific time. 
and the things that happen to them are not things that happen to everybody. And yet I feel the universality. I, I relate to, to so much in this movie. I relate to the kid being a, a teenager. I remember that feeling of being a teenager and wanting to be a good man and trying to figure out women and trying to have sex for the first time. And that just that all those weird, like, I want to be a gentleman, but I, and I want to be giving. And, and yet I don't know how to handle all these people. And I'm sort of in the friend zone and all that stuff that he's going through. But I also now really relate to the experience of Annette Benning's character, the mom, the, the parent. Um, and I really, each of these characters, I, I go, Oh my God, that, that feels true to me that I remember those feelings. I relate to that. And, I didn't go through any of those specific things, although I did go to college in Santa Barbara and, and I worked at the, uh, <laughs> at the same mall that one of the characters works at in the movie. And there are, you know, there are oh, some bit beats in, you know, in the movie that are, that are definitely, um, relatable to me in particular. But it, it, these are, you know, quirky characters that have very specific, unusual, unique things that happen in their lives. And yet it feels so universal. It feels so much about the experience of growing up, the experience of trying to be an adult, the experience of time passing, the experience of relating to, to people and, and going through things and trying to feel free. And also, you know, the, the scary things that happen in life and, you know, trying to raise a child and uh, my God, I loved this movie, the performance by Nick Benning. It is, as I mentioned earlier, an absolute crime that she is not nominated for Best Actress. This is a raw, vulnerable, exquisite performance. It is, you know, I love the fact that Emma Stone learned dancing and sang, and and, and she does a great job in La La Land. This is (laughs) runs circles around it. This this kind of acting, this vulnerability and uh accessibility that Annette Benning shows in this character is just stunning work and th- the story of this family and trying to you know trying to relate to one another and do the right thing it is a, a movie i absolutely cherished watching i loved it all right devendra any thoughts from you about 20th century women overall oh yeah i love this movie i love the cast uh it's uh, it's definitely not as specific to me as it was to you, Jeff. Uh, but this is such a far-reaching and such a human movie. I love the asides. I, I just love the way time progressed in this film, right? Because you're introduced to these characters, and then they start talking about like, oh, how they were born or something from their past, and how it wraps around. And then eventually, we learn things about their futures as well. And it's like you can see the entire scope of these people's lives in this film which is fascinating to me. It just, that's the power of cinema right there that you can make these edits and just like paint over a person's life. And uh, yeah, on the whole, I just I love all these characters. Um, the actors on the whole are fantastic. And uh, it's, it's as much a film about growing up, you know, when you're a teenager, but also even, you know, when you're middle-aged and older. And I love that. It's, it's a film about experiencing life. Um, yeah. Loved it all around. I think what this movie does really well is capture the dynamic of this particular household. Now, I, I don't know what kind of household you guys have lived in in the past or what kind of roommate situations you guys have had. But 
I have found that you know when I've lived with my parents, when I've lived alone, when I've lived with uh, several roommates, when I live with one roommate, it is a different and distinct experience every single time, right? And it's that home, the feeling of the home, the the feeling of that house is shaped so much by who's in it, you know, and how many people are in it, and mm-hmm. whether people are allowed to come and go, and what the rules are. And I felt like he captured this this wonderful uh, just just feeling of being in this house where like, hey, these people from all these different places travel to this yeah. house and and they spend time in this house and you know who knows what relationships will form. It's kind of like a like a cauldron of just like personalities and feelings that can you know spontaneous things can spring up. She's inviting guests all the time to her place, you know, yeah. and um, there's just a dynamism. It's this, so bohemian, right? Yeah, to this home yeah. that, that is captured really well. Uh, I agree. All the performances are great. Jeff, you know, I loved uh, that a couple weeks ago on the Slash Filmcast After Dark, you were talking about how pissed you were of movies that have, you know, these guys who are like the best friend who allow themselves to be get taken advantage of in the quote-unquote yeah. friend zone. <laughs> and then how like, oh, but the girl always ends up falling in love with that guy in like the John Hughes-esque movies yeah. and how that was really shattering for you as a child. Uh, it was, uh, it, yeah. Go ahead. Um, well, I'm not going to say how you know this. This movie has a very similar relationship. I'm not going to say how it ends, but I will say that, in my opinion, it plays out much more realistically in this film than yeah. it does in re- in like other <laughs> you know movies from the 80s. I don't. I, I want to say a specific line from the movie. I, I don't consider it to be a spoiler, but uh, it, it occurred to me that I had the same thought, Dave, that we had talked about that and, <laughs> and I had railed against the, the sort of lies that John Hughes movies put in my head about how relationships work. And I thought, you know, I got such bad advice from the, from those movies. This movie has the single <laughs> best line of advice <laughs> that I think I've ever seen in that context was when one w- girl says to him, to the boy, uh, don't let her sleep over in your bed and not have sex with you. It's, it's disempowering. I was like, that is the best advice I've ever seen in a movie. Well, was, you're saying it would have been advice that you would have appreciated in your time. Right? Yes. Yeah. yes. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know if I'd agree that it's the best advice I've ever seen in a movie. But because, I was because like, man, Jeff. Jeff probably could have used that advice. She is, she is taking emotional advantage of that kid, playing on the things that he wants, and and anyway, it's a deeper discussion. But I just thought. It was th- this movie. The reason I love it is because of there. There's so much honesty in it. It's almost like an advertisement for honesty. It, it is people speaking truth to one another. There's even a scene at the dinner table where people just start saying the truth, and it's kind of like shocking to just hear people be completely <laughs> honest. And I think that's kind of one of the themes of the movie is just like be honest to each other and be be honest to yourself. It's refreshing. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I really liked how this movie captured a mood. Like you said, Jeff, not that much happens in the movie, um, but all these people felt like you know actual whole people. You know, they felt like people who had lives that existed that they had lives that existed beyond the confines of the frame. Right? That uh, you're just getting you're just you're given a glimpse into their mm-hmm. lives. It actually honestly reminded me of a movie that I helped produce called Layover. Uh, and I, they're, they're very different. Well played, Dave. It's a well very played. different movie. Um, but it just is like that movie is like, hey, you just get a little glimpse of these people's lives, yeah. and uh, and maybe there's stuff to like there, maybe there's stuff not to like. But 
in any case, um, one thing that I didn't like about the movie, you know, I've been I've been really enjoying the conversation in the slash filmcast Slack. You can join it at slackfilmcast.com. But Max in the Slack filmcast uh, brought up that. Uh, I thought, quote, I thought the script and performances were excellent, but it sometimes felt like Mike Mills didn't quite trust the material and would add odd stylistic ticks. Felt a bit distracting, end quote. Mm. And honestly, I completely agree. I found these stylistic ticks to be very dis- – like the stuff that succeeds is the interactions between the characters, uh, but he puts in a lot of archival photos. He puts in like there's this um, – I don't know how to describe it. That, media yeah, that kind of like yeah, rainbow effects, all that stuff. Yeah, it didn't uh, The time-lapse, the time-lapse stuff, mm-hmm. um, especially for the archival photos – Every I know some of those photos are actually in fact like well known in American history, but right. every time those showed up, I just thought like who? Why are we viewing this? Who 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 took these photos? <laughs> we, we, this is such an intimate. It's such an intimate story, and often we're actually viewing photos that Greta Gerwig's character has taken. So it's not like photos are not already a part of the story, you know. So uh, I'm just like, who took these photos? What's what's going on here? And so I, I did not. Those kind of ripped me out of the movie and made me aware of the artifice that this was a film. Whereas, okay. you know, the rest of the movie, I felt like, hey, I, he could have just plopped the camera down in the in the dining room and we we're just watching this play out. And right. I felt the rest of the movie to be quite more immersive than the. I really uh, disagree with that, though. Yeah, I, go ahead. I mean, even even the voiceover is this kind of ethereal, uh, disembodied, looking back, you know, uh, kind of displaced from time and space. You know, they're they're talking about you know characters at at a certain point kind of like reference their own passing at a, you know at later on in life, and uh, you know, so there's it. it it kind of contributed to that. It was this wonderful, like, mixed media presentation of a period in time and these particular people living in this period in time. You know, like, there's footage of Quina Scotsy that plays at a certain point, and, and everything is kind of referenced with the date that it was made. You know, there's books, yeah. passages from books that are read, and we see the author and the date when the. And I just thought all that was really beautiful, and it placed it in a very specific time and, and informed the movie in a, in a way that I really appreciated. Yeah, I, I really I enjoyed the archival stuff. I loved when it kind of veered off a little. Uh, I, I guess I like dramas like this, especially when they kind of take the camera out. Right, we're spending so much time with them intimately, but I love the quick breaks. I'm like, let's just go big here. You know, this is what happened in their past. This is what's going to happen in their future. This is where it took place around American culture. I kind of like that stuff. It's sort of like the audience is very much an all-knowing eye it's sort of like we are you know just we don't even exist on the same plane as them we're just watching their lives unfold before us but i do agree some of the stuff like the uh the weird hyper coloring thing yeah. that he does a couple I times I do, it's cool i don't know what purpose it served uh the motion like the speed up stuff the you know that sort of thing didn't bother me too much it's funny the movie reminded me like a 1970s version of american beauty which is another annette benning movie but it really reminded me of that film. Yeah, yeah, um, because the protagonist in both films is kind of, uh, in some ways, becoming more and more disaffected with their somewhat comfortable suburban life. Right, right. Uh, that, that, like, I, you know, many movies came to mind uh, when I watched this movie, and American Beauty was actually one of them, probably because of the Annette Benning connection. So, uh, anyway. Any other thoughts? Do we do we need spoilers for this one, guys, or are we good? Um, you don't have to. There are there are definitely yeah. specific moments that I love, um, and I don't know if if we need a spoiler. Yeah, let's do some spoilers and sure. and, and talk about those moments because I have a couple moments as well. Um, so let's go to spoilers for 20th Century Women starting right now. Now you're looking for 
the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, Jeff. What are some of your favorite moments from the film? So many. I mean, there there's these exquisite little gems of of interaction. Uh, one is is when the the son reads that passage to his mother, uh, <laughs> and it is perfectly encapsulating her life. It yeah. is per- so poetically describing her existence, and then she's like, "Why did you read that to me? Do you think that's me?" You know, it, I think she said, I don't need a book to tell me yes. how, how I feel or something like that. It, it was a, a completely unexpected response. Because as he was reading it, I was like, oh, my God, that is so perfect. And, like, I kind of want to read like, read that to my mom, you know, and, you know in, a, in a weird way. And it just <laughs> – it's like it's so – beautifully written and and uh, right on the nose and then she just completely rejects it out of hand in a not in an offended way just in a sort of direct the, the i think the best words i can use to describe this movie is matter of fact everything mm-hmm. is played so matter of fact and and it, and there's a truth to that there's a it 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 never felt feels overplayed or oversold it's just matter of fact and she she responds to that in such a matter-of-fact way of like, that's not who I am. Don't don't tell me who I am. That's not. A, I don't need a book to tell me who I am. And it just completely floored me and made me rethink my own reaction to that passage and and how kind of a, a, a bit of a cage it was that he was throwing at her, you know. And and that's constantly what this movie was doing for me is I was just experiencing these people in this time. Another moment that really struck me was – Well, the, before you move on, Jeff, I just want to point oh, out about – that was one of my favorite moments from the whole movie as well. And I think there is something disorienting, alarming, somewhat offensive about hearing your life summed up by someone who doesn't know anything about you. Right. You know? Right. And I thought that moment captured that feeling very well. So, But in, in, in some way, I've all – I have this sense that that's what we all want is someone to just be able to say it, say that thing we've all been thinking perfectly. And in so much of this movie, you know, it's just kind of occurring to me right now. So much of this movie is Annette Benning hearing punk rock and not, and hearing the sort of garbled message of punk rock, <laughs> the, the inability to articulate exactly how one feels and trying to understand why that resonates with her son, why those feelings uh, a teenager likes the the messiness and the inarticulateness <laughs> the inarticulation of of that form of art and here he then gives her an exactly perfectly worded version of her life and she doesn't want to hear it it's yeah. amazing yeah a lot of well, parallels it's it's, there. it's it's reductive but it's also like that that passage was not super flattering to her either. You know what I right, mean? Like right. it wasn't like the passage was you're amazing. It was it was about how women in that era feel stuck in some ways, right? right. And and so I thought her reaction was very understandable, but also but it's, not a, it's, it's also undeniably true, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Agree completely. It's true, but it's like, I can understand why someone didn't want to hear it. Yeah. And uh, I did we did we talk about this? How like one of the one of the cruelest things you can do. 
is put a piece of art in front of someone and expect them to have a specific reaction to it. Yes. Did we talk about yeah. that on the podcast? I, yeah. At and, some and, point, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's true. That's true, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I think he kind of he kind of did that in, in a yeah. very – like, that's a very small part of that scene, but I think that was – you know, oh, it's, I, it's, it's a, a teenager yeah. thing to do because this Certainly. movie is about that conflict of – trying to know the people around you right trying to really know your mom and your dad or something and yeah a child will never quite know who they are as people even somebody who is as uh kind of open and loving as she is too because the movie starts off with her being very accepting of him like you know doing bad things in school and like she's very open about certain things but then as we go on yeah she she can't accept like maybe this definition of who she is or she refuses to see that you know, Jeff, uh, you're the only person here who's a parent so far. Um, but it, it did, like, one of the things that I find mind boggling about people who have kids, it, and I know this sounds really dumb, guys, but, um, <laughs> is this idea that you, you put so much love and energy and time and resources into raising this creature and, uh, and then at the end of it, you know, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, th- they have a great life and they leave and they go off and then mm-hmm. just do their own thing. And it's just like, it's just such an, having a child must be such an insane act of selflessness. Uh, and I, I salute anyone who feels able to do that. One thing you know, that kind of brought that to the fore in this movie is that scene between Greta Gerwig's character and Annette Benning's character. Uh, you know, Dorothy is Annette Benning's character. Abby is Greta Gerwig's character. Where they're talking, and uh, Annette Benning says something along the lines of, uh, "You see him as I will never see him, like out in yeah, the world. out in the world, out in the yeah. world, right? Like I, I will never see him that way." Yeah, and it's an incredibly profound thought. This idea that this relationship between a mother and a child can be so intimate, so close, and yet there is a side of children that. Um, unless you are a psycho mom that keeps your child inside all the time, that or like dog tooth style, there's just a, and even in dog even in dog tooth, um, there's <laughs> a side even, of you. It's not even a side; it's the most prominent part of them. Right? Yeah, that you yeah. will just never see. You'll just never have yeah. access to. Yeah, I mean, right? this movie is really about the idea that you will never truly know another person. Right. Yes. Like as much as you love them, as much as you care about them, but it, whereas I think that idea is often. It seems a little negative and sad and depressing. This movie, at least, it makes it, it shows, into something kind of beautiful. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. we're There's, trying to work through it at least. The scene that I thought you were going to reference between those two characters, you know, we find out that uh, Greta Gerwitz's character can't have children, uh, and she's dealing with that. And she says, uh, "Having your son was like the best thing that ever happened to you, right?" And Annette Bening goes. Kind of, yeah. Sorry to say it. Yeah. It is the most amazing thing because she just like answers honestly. Mm-hmm. She doesn't – and that's what's so fucking so beautiful about this movie to me, guys, is like that char- – Annette Benning's character, that that being is just there to sort of facilitate truth for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> she just yeah, – yeah. she just – Except for herself. For a lot Except of the Except for mm-hmm. herself. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the central, the central conflict between she and her son is that he keeps saying, you're the one who's blind. You're the one who's not opening your eyes. You're the one who's not being honest with yourself. And that never changes, right? Like the, the, the heartbreaking thing at the end of the movie is 
I really thought that this moment would be a moment of change between my mom and I, and we would always deal with each other like this, but it never really was. It never, we never really achieved it again. Like, what a crushing, just throwaway bit of voiceover. Yeah. You know, well, but it's so at true. the end, when they were like, oh, yeah, and she dies at like 1999. Like, when they start going flashing forward to their deaths, too, I think this movie hit another level just like that. Yeah. But it's all just so, it's so mm-hmm. matter of fact, right? It's yeah. so, and the other, you know, you talk about, um, being a parent. What's that famous quote about, um, you know, before you have kids, your heart is on the inside, but after you have kids, your heart is on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the scene, and again, so matter of fact, just played completely matter of factly, the scene where he's playing that game about, you know, holding your breath and, in passing out and I was instantly bawling when, you know, they, they, he, he didn't wake up for 30 minutes and it's like hold that feeling of a being a parent and just being powerless and Mm -hmm. your kids in danger. My, and the movie just throws you into that too. Like there's no real preparation or build up to it. We kind of just get there. Like we were having happy built, uh, structural scenes, first act scenes at the beginning. And then, Oh, by the way, he, at one point, yeah, couldn't breathe for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, and it thrusts you into that place that, that the parent is of like, Mm -hmm. are we about to find out that this kid died? Are we about to find out that this kid got massive brain damage? What are we about to find out here? You know, it's, it's a striking bit of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I also loved the um, the uh, Jimmy Carter speech because oh. my God, does that resonate today? Right? <laughs> yeah. You mean uh, you mean a a, a uh, you know presidential candidate advocating for uh, civility, diversity, and hope? Um, More than that, warning warning against the opposite of it, mm-hmm. warning that that will be our downfall. That lack of civility, that uh, uh, an emphasis on things over people will be our undoing. Like it's right there. It, yeah. it, I could not believe the prescience of yeah. – of, I'd never heard that mm-hmm. speech Basically before. history is cyclical I think is what we're trying to say <laughs> where everyone said, oh, he's going to get – he's going to get – like um, he's going to lose, right? That's what they said or something yeah. like that? Yeah, um, so, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and, yeah, I mean, there's so much to this <laughs> this movie. I mean, they're, they're like just the little bits of like what what they didn't know is that punk was dying. What they didn't know is we were about to enter the Reagan era. What they didn't like, it's I love that ethereal quality of like the context that these characters don't have that you, the audience, do. We're going to acknowledge. Yes, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, well, I think that's all we have to say about 20th Century Woman. Uh, there's a lot to like and appreciate about this movie, and uh, don't let it slip under your radar. There's a lot of movies coming out right now, a lot of Oscar buzz, but uh, 20th Century Woman by Mike Mills. I think it's a terrible title. Yeah. I think, it, I think <laughs> it's a title that doesn't reflect what the movie really is. Agreed. And, and it's a title that, uh, let, let's just be honest, un- I think unfortunately will alienate a lot of people unnecessarily. Yeah. So I don't think I would have yeah. seen it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's definitely at least descriptive. You know, it, you understand the point <laughs> of the title, unlike other things which are badly titled, and you yeah. wonder why. I mean, it's not as good of a title as, like, John Wick or <laughs> Lego Batman, but I mean, right? It's as much, it is about these women, but it is also mm-hmm. about this, it is about what it means to be a man. Like, 
the movie is is squarely about what it is mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. what it means to be a man and this single mom trying to figure out how to raise a man and yeah. there's so much in it that I, I took away from it that resonated with me about how you know she keeps saying over and over like he doesn't you know what have we done to men what you know what 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 it's this weird crossroads that I think has resulted in a lot of the shit that's happening right now you know culturally mm-hmm. um and and I don't know, I, I don't think the title accurately reflects that, yeah. and it's a shame. I, I, think it, I it, hope upon the home video release, it gets retitled to "Live, Die, Repeat." There you that's, go. That's that's where we can end this. Can we just say, by the way, that Mike Mills is just generally bad at titling things? I mean, <laughs> I mean, his movies "Thumbsucker," "Beginners," and "20th Century like, Women." Those I like "Thumbsucker." None of those titles make me want to watch those. "Beginners" movies. is just boring. "20th Century Women." I, the big problem there is that you have women in the title, and I guess, yeah, that turns off dudes, unfortunately, even though this is a film I think a lot of dudes should see. Yeah, agree. Uh, but Thumbsucker is a great title. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think every, every person should see this movie. Uh, <laughs> or every, like, or there, let's put it this yeah. way. There's a lot of, uh, men for, who, for whom this is uh, true. watching this movie would be a valuable experience. So. I think uh, Thumbsucker is a great title, by the way. I'm not going to let that pass David Chen, <laughs> uh, director <laughs> of the primary instinct, which is a title that I still think is awesome, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. 20th century women sounds like a dry history lesson to me. <laughs> yeah. It kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, that's going to bring us to this week's episode. Stay tuned for some after dark action. Also, you can hear what we're uh, going to be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Canada, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I do a video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? You can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. You can find my newly relaunched blog at DaveChen.net. Hope to see you guys there. I'm updating that pretty much every single day. Uh, and yeah, music for this episode comes courtesy of AdamWarrock.com. He did our theme song. Our slash Film Court music is done by SimonMHarris.com. And also filmmaker Kyle Hillinger did our spoiler bumper music slash audio. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Rings. Rings. That's a movie. A remake of The Ring. A movie It's that, not a remake. It's not a remake. Like, it's, clearly, it's clearly a continuation, Dave. Come on. It's the same Samara. Certainly a print. pluralization. I, yeah. I hope it's <laughs> nicely done, Jeff. I guess, Devendra, so I think you're right. Maybe it is a continuation. It is a follow-up. It may just be devoid of original ideas. How yeah, it's just like some of the shots are identical to the original. So that's why I assume it's a remake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In any I, case, I, I, Rings I, I, was supposed to come out, I think, in 2015. It got pushed to yeah. fall of 2016 and then got pushed again to February of 2017. And, guys, whenever a movie gets pushed three times yeah. – um, that is when you know it's going to be equality. I, I kind of just want to see it because of that. I, I want to see what's happening with this movie. And also, uh, R- The Ring 2, I saw that in theaters. Uh, ended up being terrible. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to be one of the fun reviews where we review a movie that is laughably horrible, I predict. But who knows? Maybe it'll surprise us, guys. Maybe I hope so. Surprise. I'm always hopeful. Yeah. Uh, well, that's going to bring us to the end of the Slash Homecast, the official podcast of Slash Home.com. We're out. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks, from the good side.
Welcome to the Slash Filmcast After Dark, ladies and gentlemen. This is a time where we talk about random stuff that has no consequence to anyone that people don't even want to hear about, that we barely want to talk about. So, you know, it's not something we expect people to listen to, but uh, for some reason, people still do. So, welcome. Uh, and before we get to some of the emails we got, I uh, wanted to point out that, uh, Jeff, we got a lot of support for you on the, uh, in response to our discussion of Twitter last episode, right? Yeah, yeah. It was very uh, heartening to see how many people said... Uh, you should practice self-care. I should mute. <laughs> yeah, and I, You know what I've done, Dave? What, did you, what have you done? I've done a lot of muting this week. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying mute everyone. And that, that's the thing no. that I think I, I wish I'd made clear on the After Dark last week is I'm not saying mute all dissenting opinion. <laughs> I'm saying mute dissenting opinion that is clearly meant to just make you feel bad. You know, yeah. that is clearly targeted to harass or uh, flummox you or just, just basically – uh, make it harder for you to do what you're trying to do. Now, yeah. we should the guy, enter- the guy that would always uh, tweet back anything I, I posted with. Oh, do you want some tissues, crybaby? That guy, I muted. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's uh, <laughs> and I'm I'm actually somewhat sad and shocked that <laughs> it took until last week for you to do that. But I'm <laughs> I'm glad. You know, let's not let's not talk about the fact that you're late to the party to the muting party, Jeff. Let's just be glad that you arrived at all. Yes. Yeah. Um, Alexa just went off in my apartment for some reason. Good job. Um, okay. So all that being said, I, I think last week was one of our most polarizing episodes ever. And Jeff, do you want to drop the spoiler warnings again? Yes. If you have not seen Split, we're going – you should just not listen. I mean yeah. you shouldn't listen at all anyway. You shouldn't listen after. at all because this is a complete waste of your time. This yeah. from Cast after. I mean honestly – and if you haven't seen Split, there's no – there's literally no reason for you to be listening right now. <laughs> so just stop. You had a whole you, – you got a whole episode. You can stop now. You can yeah. just turn it off, reach over. <laughs> um, I have never ever in my life – and I've been doing this for 10 years now, guys, and review, reviewing movies. Uh, I've never gotten more feedback of people saying, thank you. I wasn't going to watch this movie. I went in blind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. uh, you know, be one of those people. Go watch it blind if you're going to watch it. So uh, I'm going to read an email that kind of came down on, on Jeff's side of the film. And then I'm going to read an email that came down on, quote, unquote, my side of the film. <laughs> Joshua Frost wrote into SlashFilmCast.gmail.com. So I, I just want to say, like, we got dozens of emails. Dozens. We're not gonna, I'm not going to read them all. But uh, these are kind of representative of the different viewpoints. I, I think the pro-Jeff, you know, pro-split uh, contingent was mostly on Twitter, some on the emails. Uh, but this one comes in from Joshua. He writes in, first of all, want to thank Je- uh, Jeff for the big Twitter spoiler warnings. If I'm lukewarm on a movie, I'll usually check out a couple of reviews to decide if I want to get out and see a movie. And I was a bit unsold on Split. So, Jeff, you really saved me from ruining for myself. Secondly, holy shit, that was a dope ending. I didn't catch on to the score, but just in the context of what McAvoy was discovering about himself in that scene, made me sit up in my seat and be like, wait a minute, are they doing this for real? And then when it was confirmed in the next scene, I threw my hands up with an elated yes, much to the confusion of everyone else in the theater. And I agree 100%, Jeff. Best movie moment since the Avengers scene. The only thing I hate about it is not being able to talk to my friends about it because not a damn one saw the movie. So I'm very thankful you guys pushed out this episode very fast. That email comes in from Joshua Frost to slashfilmcast.gmail.com. So yeah, Jeff, a lot of people thanking you. A lot of people saying, hey, that ending was absolutely spectacular. 
Uh, I assume that uh, you have. We we did get a. Do you, you have a chance to talk to our buddy, uh, our buddy Dan, about this uh, review? Because I think we he... we were hanging out with a bunch of people that hadn't seen the movie, so we couldn't talk openly about it. But uh, yeah, I'm anxious to hear I think why. That, uh, he said we are all wrong in our own special way. <laughs> yeah, I th- I want to try and get Dan on uh, on the the podcast to talk about uh, his opinion of Split. So I'm going to try to do that this week if I can. But uh, yeah, D- Dan Trackenberg tweeted at us that he thinks we're wrong about the movie. <laughs> that each uh, of us is wrong. Each of us in our is wrong. Different way. Each yeah. of, we're all wrong. We're all wrong. <laughs> I, I like yeah. that he took the middle path there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was an email from Joshua. A lot of thanks for Jeff. You know, Jeff. It looks like the copious spoiler warnings actually worked. We had, I think, about eight minutes worth of spoiler warnings on that podcast episode. So yeah, it looks like it worked. Sometimes you have to go the extra mile. Noah from Boulder, Colorado, writes in: After seeing Jeff's intense tweets about how important it was to see Split before the twist was spoiled, my girlfriend and I ran out and saw it without seeing the trailer, poster, or even reading about the premise. The movie was fine. It had some issues, but we could not figure out what Jeff was trying so hard to protect us from. Seemed like a pretty straightforward thriller. The reveal that Kevin had multiple personalities was made clear in the first 20 minutes of the film. It wasn't until I listened to the split episode yesterday that I realized it was about the shoehorned (laughs) Bruce Willis cameo, which didn't play as a twist for me at all, but rather a tacky reference or Easter egg to one of Shyamalan's previous movies where Willis basically turns to the camera and says, it must be some kind of unbreakable split tub time machine. I hate that it comes down to cultural relevance again, but for a twist like this to work, the reveal needs to be a known commodity. If we had a Nolan movie that was presented as just another psychological thriller, and then at the last moment, Christian Bale shows up and tells us that the main character uh, named Edward was actually Edward Nigma, the infamous Riddler, that would be an amazing trick, because everybody already knows who the Riddler is. We'd then go back, and upon rewatching, it would enrich the experience, and we'd be able to see all the details that were right in front of us the whole time. That's why twists are so hard to pull off. You have to put the clues out there the whole time. Think Sixth Sense, Book of Eli, Memento, Prestige. The reveal in Split is that a character you've never heard of is actually some other character that you've also never heard of that doesn't exist in the lore yet. If we already had a movie about the Horde and then this came along, a disguised origin story, it would totally work. But instead, it plays like this. And then here Noah writes a little dialogue scene. Hey, that guy Kevin you've been watching the whole time? Surprise! He's actually the Horde. Okay, who's the Horde? From Unbreakable. He's a supervillain from Unbreakable. No, he isn't. I saw Unbreakable. He isn't in it or even mentioned in it. Well, yeah, but he's going to be. As far as the movie itself, you guys didn't talk about how the whole we can't beat him with brute force so we have to outsmart him is laid out very early on but never realized. Anya Taylor-Joy's character even ends up locked in a room with access to all the video diaries of his many personalities holding all of his secrets of their relationships and the knowledge to turn him against himself and ultimately escape – but nope, she just runs away from him and tries to shoot him a bunch. I feel tried. like she tried to stop him. I feel like there is a better movie hidden in there, but I guess uh, it never was about that anyway. Sorry for being snarky, Jeff. Still appreciate your enthusiasm and love the show. <laughs> End quote. That email comes in from Noah from yeah. Boulder, Colorado. I 100% agree with Noah in this email. I think- I'm gonna I'm gonna quote our president and say wrong, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Uh, okay, Jeff. But, but I, I think, like, can you consider that viewpoint, Jeff? Because <laughs> the thing is, we love Unbreakable. We know Unbreakable. I've seen that movie so many times. It's it's in my veins. I know the score. The, I, that scene plays nothing to somebody who hasn't seen it. Yeah, I, we got we I, got a bunch of emails I, yeah. from people who said yeah. like, "Hey, 
Jeff, you know what about yeah. all the people who haven't seen Unbreakable? Like, do you understand that the movie just completely does not function for them on the yeah. same level? Yeah, but repeat after me, guys. <laughs> Everything isn't made for you. There's a lot of times I watch things and they aren't made for me. That's okay. They cannot be made for me. Everything isn't made for you. Yeah, and that's yeah. fine. That's fine, Jeff. But I, I think they thought the movie would be for them based that's on fine. all the marketing. Okay, so they didn't like it. They they didn't they didn't feel that thing. Here's the problem that I, that we get into with this kind of thing is it would be wonderful if I could say, hey, everybody, have you seen Unbreakable? If so, go see Split immediately. But you can't. You just have to hope. You have to hope. And from my experience, based on, you know, purely anecdotal feedback, I got a few people who are, who said, Oh man, I was totally bummed because I didn't, I never saw Unbreakable and I rushed out to see it because of what you said. And to them, I, I reply, sorry, I have to work the law of averages here because there's no way for me to, to check first because that just ruins it. You have to just hope that more people and, to my experience, more people did have that great experience because they were armed with that previous knowledge. Now, I totally understand that if you aren't armed with that previous knowledge, it's not going to land on you in the same way. And I'm sorry that maybe I got your hopes up by what things that I said or, or maybe the movie didn't live up to the, to your hope because it didn't land that way. But it is like going to see Empire Strikes Back without having seen Star Wars. You didn't know you didn't, you needed to see Star Wars first. And that's a bummer in this particular case. Like you didn't <laughs> Wait, know. You, that... you didn't know you needed to see Star Wars first. Well, no, no, no. Saying he's saying, you... he's saying in the case okay. of, if, if the analogy was accurate. Okay. Okay. You, know, yeah. you wouldn't have yeah. known. Like imagine right. seeing Empire without having seen Star Wars. Right. Well, right. Imagine it's Empire Strikes Back, but you don't know it's Empire Strikes right. Back until the end. You know, it's like, there's a lot of information that's required to, to make this, this movie work the way it's intended to and, or the way it's best, you know, but it, it sucks for you. I, I totally understand that. I can understand that being sucks for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we've come down to. <laughs> I understand that, that feeling bad, but guess what? The, it, he was making a sequel to, a disguised as another movie. And just because you didn't, see the movie that it was a sequel to doesn't mean that it wasn't a brilliant thing that he did. Well, Jeff, I think that is a fine defense of the film. Uh, I, I, I guess, you know, I've listened to that split review a couple times because I really enjoyed it. Uh, if I do, you know, our, our, our bickering, I, the, our, <laughs> the sound of us bickering is like music to my it's ears. It's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And it's, it's funny uh, how many people said it was their favorite episode and how many people said it was unlistenable. And I, I, turned, <laughs> what was that guy that like wrote us an email that said it was like listening to my parents listen fight? Listening to his parents fight. That's right. He said, <laughs> actually, Carter wrote in to slashfilmcast.gmail.com. He said, uh, the, the podcast for Split was the first bad episode I've heard from you guys. Jeff and David were talking and argue, like arguing and talking past each other for over 20 minutes at least. It's perfectly normal for you guys to disagree, but it was really unenjoyable to listen to them talk about their same criticisms for 20 minutes. It also seemed to get kind of personal. Jeff got really defensive and then being passive aggressive and David kept hitting on the same points that it was clear <laughs> after the third time that Jeff wasn't going to change his mind. It felt like listening to my parents argue, it makes me feel bad. Have you guys? I'm sure you ha you two have uh, experienced this over the course of doing this show that the people can project a lot on onto your relationship with each other, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I would have that all the time on various shows of like, oh my god, why are you so mad at 
Alex Albrecht or, you know, <laughs> why do you hate Garnett Lee? Or it's like, no, we would, we're friends. It's, this is how we talk to each other because we can, because we're friends, you know? Uh, so. I mean, I mean, I, I, here's what I'll say, Jeff. I'm going to say two things. Okay. Number one, this is a fact. I'm not, this is a fact. Jeff Kanata is one of my favorite people in the world. Okay. Just putting that out there. Right. Jeff, and I also am not always annoyed by Dave Chen. <laughs> Jeff Kanata is one of my favorite people in the world, but I will say, man, that review was occasionally very frustrating, you know? But, and those two thoughts, those two seemingly contradictory thoughts can exist at the same time. Uh, I, I, you know, reflecting on that review, I think that what, it, what is very obvious, uh, to, I think, anyone listening to the review, including yourself, Jeff, <laughs> is that the value you place on that element of surprise and the, and the ensuing wonder that comes from it mm-hmm. is incredibly high. Incredibly disproportionate. high. Disproportionate. Dis- oh, th- you're saying disproportionate. Oh, you know, 100%. I thought my, I was pretty honest about that at the time. My, my, my significant other commented on the, slip, the split review. She said, here's my takeaway from the split review. Jeff Kanata suffers from a severe lack of magic in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Because, because that's if, sad, if, that's a if, sad version. If, wow. If, if there was abundant magic everywhere, then, then the magic element of Split wouldn't maybe not have been so overpowering. Did you, so, did you well, tell her Jeff doesn't watch trailers, so this is what happens. Like, <laughs> it's pure well, surprise. It's like, a, it's like a, yeah, it's an overdose of surprise. A, I did, uh, you know, I did live through 2016, so there's less magic than there used to be. But B, maybe I just am so fucking addicted to magic that even, even, uh, there's no possible way to OD on it. Even, even the amount of magic that I'm experiencing, more magic is always better. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's very clear. And I think, I think the only frustration I had, Jeff, was that like, you were so taken with that element of the magic that I think, you know the 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 negative aspects of the film simply did not bother you as much, uh, and that's fine. But it's just like accurate. we have we have two different ways of perceiving. Like it's almost like the empirical reality was different for the two of us. You know, like we we almost saw two completely. We had two vastly different movie experiences. And well, I think that's very obvious from the review. But <laughs> but uh, well, it, I my only frustration, I think, and I'm, not to rehash this, sure. but. My only frustration was that both of you guys seemed to feel like there were two parts to this movie. That there was like the movie and then there was the ending of the movie. And I felt like it was, it was kind of like saying, you know, I don't understand why that guy, uh, you know, in the movie, uh, there's a guy in the movie and he all, every, every relationship he's in, uh, is terrible and, uh, uh, you know, he's always uh, such a sad sack. And then he meets that one girl who seems like she's going to be the one, but it just, it just really doesn't work out. It's like, yeah, but at the end, it does work out and it's great. <laughs> oh, no, that's just the end. Though. That's the crazy twist at the end. It's like, no, no, that's, that's, that's the resolution of the film. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to get into analogies with you, yeah. Jeff, because I think yeah. we already analogied out the last <laughs> yeah. episode. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, we agree to disagree on that one, Jeff. You know, there's yeah. some people, there's yeah. some people who are saying how, uh, I, I made a baffling comment uh, on last week's episode. I said a movie with a twist needs to work independently of the twist. And some people were saying, "Well, Dave, that doesn't make any sense. Like with the Sixth Sense, would that movie really have been? Would that would Sixth Sense really have worked as well if you didn't know the twist? That spoiler for Sixth Sense: Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like wouldn't that have changed differently? Wouldn't that have yeah. changed the whole movie? And my answer here's my answer to that. I actually watched The Sixth Sense this week, and uh, that movie still works until that ending. You know, I'm yes. still like yes. the yes. Tony Collette relationship, Tony Collette character's relationship with Haley Joel Osment, this single mom who's just trying to make it work with this kid who is like seeing ghosts and stuff and freaking out at people and and causing all this trouble. Like that is a very touching, mm-hmm. moving relationship uh, that. Is a is a connection that I can latch onto, even regardless of whether or not Bruce Willis is actually alive the whole time. That's what I mean. I don't yeah, mean yeah. the plot needs to be the same with or without the twist, because that's impossible. What I mean is the movie still needs to function as a movie without mm-hmm. the twist. And the, and the key there, by the way, is that twist is core. It it's central around those characters, right? Or at least it, it's central to a character that you're watching in that film. It's not just like. This is why I think it's a separate thing because Split ends, right? It has a it has a clear ending. They could have just rolled credits at one point, and uh, the scene we get afterwards is like, oh, hey, what's happening here? And then, oh, by the way, I just blew up the scope of this universe. That's really all it is. It doesn't necessarily affect these characters yet. It's just the idea that it could eventually, you know, be something else. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Devendra. I just like, think that's I just disagree yeah. with that. It, yeah, it changes. <laughs> It changes the context of everything you watch. It changes the genre of the movie you watched. It it it, it like. It's but how still... does it affect the characters? Yeah, like, I, 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 so, so I think I think what Devinger is saying. I think what Devinger is saying is, yeah, the ending of the Sixth Sense recontextualizes the entire relationship between these characters. Whereas the ending of Split doesn't do that. It simply says, "Hey, this movie, by the way, is a different." Is part of a different universe and also potentially a different genre. Yeah. Uh, but I think, Jeff, you're, you're saying is, hey, well, but, the fact that it says it's part of a different genre makes the movie as a whole work better, right? It does. And and I, I also think, I mean, it has ramifications for, for the character in the sense of, uh, you know, before we were watching this thriller where somebody had superpowers for some weird reason. And now I, I kind of understand what – I understand – how these characters were relating to each other in the context of now I know what this universe is about. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think there's some I think you're... justification for the powers. But it's, we brought up the Iron Man one, you know, Nick Fury reveal, right? And I think that's a great, uh, that's a great comparison to this movie. Yeah, because that one great comparison. Happened, it happens at the end of the credits. It's the only difference. But I think a lot of people heard that that was happening, or you know, we saw it, and we're like, "Oh man, the scope of this entire project has been blown sky high." Won't that be interesting? <laughs> but you know what I saw before that? A really, really good superhero. A really movie. kick-ass origin story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but Jeff, I think we're gonna agree to disagree on this one, man. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, Dave. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? Did you say that phrase on purpose? No, no, <laughs> because. I was at PAX South this weekend and, uh, <laughs> somebody came up to me and, and said, I wish I could remember the name of the, of the fellow that, that was talking to me. I, I apologize. If you're listening now, know that you made an impression. I just can't recall your name at the moment. Uh, and he said, um, <laughs> he said, I love the slash film cast. I listen to it every week. I said, Oh, that's so great. I appreciate it. He said, What's with Dave always saying agree to disagree? <laughs> and I was like, What? He's like, It's like his catchphrase. And I was like, I don't remember him saying that that much. Does he say that a lot? He's like, oh my god, he always says that. It does happen. Like, well, to, to be honest, yeah. the re- the reason I say it is because you know we we need to move on at some point. <laughs> no, I and and I don't want to just say, well, fuck you, let's move on. Like, <laughs> I, I wish you were more honest, Dave. Let's that is a catchier catchier <laughs> phrase. The fuck the, you, you, see, you know, CNN CNN has a saying. Um, 
an expression called "we'll leave it there." Like you know, yeah. they'll they'll, inter- they'll interrogate someone and then they'll say, well, "CNN," you know, someone will say some kind of BS, and then CNN will say. Well, that's actually demonstrably false because of these statistics I have. And then the person will say, no, you're wrong. And then he says – the CNN says, well, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it no, there. They always say, we'll have to leave it we'll there. We'll have to leave yeah. it there. And yeah. then and NPR too, I think. Like a we'll have to just leave it there. We'll have to just leave it there. I was, re- I was, you know re- I was rereading the daily- – I was reading this uh, book on The Daily Show, The Oral History of The Daily Show. And they, they mentioned this clip that The Daily Show did that you can actually find online uh, that uh, basically is a complete – it's like a 10-minute takedown of that concept. <laughs> uh, of leaving it there, and and John Stewart is like, no, CNN, don't leave it there. That's the worst place to leave it. You know, like he goes into this whole diatribe. So good. Uh, you just have to keep fighting until none of you, one of you, can't breathe. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, how it's, it's supposed to be done. I, I say agree to disagree because I don't want to say we'll leave it there because that sounds lame. <laughs> and but I don't, I don't want you to yeah. think you've won, Jeff. So <laughs> right. I was going to say, hey, we we depart this fight as equals, <laughs> even, even though, though you really know that that's not the case. Two people enter and two people leave, but not without having argued for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. you know? Personally, like, uh, let me just say, I also kind of hate that phrase, not because you say it, Dave, uh, but because it doesn't mean anything. What does it mean? We're having, a, we're having a conversation. Like, just, you know, give me, give me a point. I'll give you a point. Okay. Maybe we agree on something. Maybe we just yeah. disagree, but it's okay to disagree. We can walk away and still be adults. Yeah. We started agreeing to disagree. We haven't arrived at agreeing to disagree. That's what we just started. Just because you say it doesn't make it so. Right. Well, firstly, I'm sorry you feel that way, Devendra. We're going to have to agree to disagree on that. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> it's second, so funny because I never noticed it. but And now you will notice it forever, Jeff. It will always haunt you will, me now. You will notice it forever. <laughs> All right. Before we – there's one final topic I want to bring up. But before we do that, um, I want to give a shout-out to Jordan from Lionsgate Films. Uh, Jordan actually is a huge fan of the Slash Filmcast and was able to get us some swag recently. Very cool. He sent us each a care package, uh, a uh, Blu-ray of uh, Hell or High Water. Pointedly different care packages based on who we were. You guys each got a Hell or High Water, right? Yeah. And I got Hell or High Water and Gods of Egypt. (laughs) So I got twice the movie going. I I got one of the best films of 2016. And Hell or High Water in my package. So it was great. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I wanted to thank Jordan uh, for, for supporting us over there at Lionsgate. We really appreciate it. Finally, guys, uh, Split has made over – or uh, if it hasn't, it's going to soon make over $100 million. Yep. This is a massive – comeback for M. Night Shyamalan. I, I mean, he, he didn't really have – I mean, what? Lady in the Water was a box office failure, but uh, Airbender did well. It Even did? It was bad. Uh, I don't know that it did, it did well. well internationally. It did okay. Like, Lady in the Water made forty-two million domestic. Uh, yeah, thirty million is it seventy-two million worldwide? Uh, and Last Airbender, let's see, Last Airbender made one hundred thirty-one domestic and one hundred eighty-seven uh, foreign for three hundred nineteen worldwide. But the problem is, it had a, bu- a production budget of one hundred fifty million dollars. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And also, it was critically reviled and basically poisoned the franchise. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's people are making that movie. Not just for The Last Airbender. They're hoping to make five Airbender movies, right? And uh, so there is a lot of the, – the studios are placing a strategic bet that that's going to become a franchise. And if it, do, if it doesn't, then financially it's not really a good move for them. Split currently has $77 million domestic. It's going to make over $100 million. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, man, that is an amazing comeback, right? An amazing yep. comeback yep. For, for a director that um, not just box office but artistically – 
had lost his groove. And I was trying to think of like who has had a comparable comeback. And it's mm-hmm. been very difficult for me to think of. Um, I can think of some directors that were like, as we mentioned before, kind of indirectors jail and ha- like didn't make a movie for a very long time and then came back with something very compelling. So for instance, David O. Russell made I Heart Huckabees in 2004 and that made $12 million. And, I love that movie. Uh, and then he didn't make a movie for six years. Mm-hmm. And his next movie was The Fighter, which made $93 million, you know, and then he made American Hustle, which was a Silver Linings playbook in the American yeah. Hustle. Both of then which he made Jennifer over, Lawrence. Yeah. Both, both of which made over $100 million and were nominated for many Oscars, right? Uh, and so that's a pretty big comeback. Clint Eastwood, uh, is kind of like that. Like he made a bunch of schlock before, uh, Million Dollar Baby, you know, like he made, uh, or before Mystic River, I should say. You know, he, he made Blood Work and True Crime and Space Cowboys, uh, and then came back with, uh, Mystic River. But yeah, are there any other, like, director mm. comebacks that you guys can think of? Anyone in the chat room can I think of? Because I was just thinking. Ang Lee, after the Hulk, he was kind of, like, wasn't he kind of dumped for a while? But I don't know. He still hasn't had a huge comeback. Yeah, uh, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk is, yeah. is not really, uh, is not really doing it for him. Uh, Ang Lee still had a, well, no, actually, two years after Hulk, he made Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, that's true. So that, so that really, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Billy Lynn's halftime walk didn't do well. He also made Life of Pi, which was, uh, really well received and made over $600 million worldwide. So, have you yeah. seen Lust Caution, by the way? I have not, but I've heard I good highly recommend about it. it. You've seen Lust Caution, Devendra? Very good movie. Yeah. Also, yeah. Are, so that, that movie will make you feel things for, uh, Tony Leung. Uh, Brian Davidson from Film Slubs in the chat room brings up, uh, Mel Gibson, of course. Uh, which we already talked about on the podcast today, but yeah. Mel Gibson, I don't think really ever declined art like artistically. You know, like I think he made some movies that weren't necessarily as good, but yeah. he never he went personally. into yeah, he never went into even like his worst movie that he's made in recent years. Like what was it? Um, that movie where he's he's like taken with Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, what is it called? Edge of Darkness, right? I did not like that movie. That was directed by Martin yeah. Campbell, I think. Uh, he wasn't even directing that movie, so that doesn't even count. But, I mean, the, the guy hasn't directed that many films. Uh, Apocalypto was his last movie. That was 2006. So, but even, you know, even Apocalypto, well, point being, I don't really mm-hmm. think there was a, a creative decline for Mel Gibson, is what I'm saying. So any other uh, any other ideas? I, Anyone I would you want say to George see? Miller, except uh, ba- I love the big movies and Happy Feet is fine. Doesn't feel like a creative decline. Just feels like a creative right. misdirection for him for a little while. Like he went, he kind of went away and made some yeah. uh, some climate change propaganda for a while. Yeah, and then. Uh, 